And we're moving into the part of our service where we're going to break the bread of life, which means the scripture. And I'm so glad that you're here with hungry hearts today. And our sisters said that they may have to leave. If they do, they, they do it reverently because they have a possibility of the cell phone things coming in and they have a schedule and they may not have scheduled all the time we're going to spend here today we have one big service right now and we we make the best of it so you're welcome to go at any time we're glad you came we're glad you were here to worship with us today and we pray god's grace upon you and your family and your situation today uh, god is a miracle worker the days of miracles are not over for the days of answered prayer are not over as long as God answers prayer, miracles occur because the simplest explanation of a miracle is a supernatural intervention in the normal course of human affairs. If God saves anyone, if he helps anyone, if he grants grace to anyone, if he, if he does anything for anyone or any situation down here upon this planet, a miracle has occurred. The greatest of all miracles is the miracle of salvation. It pays the greatest dividends. It's eternal. A lot of miracles have temporal good. I was healed of a stroke almost 10 years ago. I, I, well, no, about eight years ago, I think. Anyway, I was 65. I remember the ambulance attendant saying we got a 65-year-old male uh, with a stroke and they're getting him ready for me at the emergency room. And uh, you know how that worked. You came and prayed for me and that hospital. I walked out on the first half of the third day without any uh, ill effects whatsoever. In, in, in South Florida Baptist Hospital, you must, I don't care if you're a football player with a sprained ankle and they got a cast on it, uh, they're going to take you out in a wheelchair because if you slip and fall, they're liable. So they make you use a wheelchair. Well, my recovery was so, that first two days, they kept a purple bracelet on me. A purple bracelet means this man is not supposed to get out of bed by himself to keep me from falling, and of course their liability. Uh, I don't think they love me that much. But anyway, uh, they were good to me. They cared for me. They didn't do one thing for me, but God did everything in my behalf. And I'm so grateful to the Lord for that. Amen. Uh, I, I, would, I would lay back and cross my feet, cross my ankles. The nurse would see that, and she'd come in and say, uncross your ankles, because they were concerned about my circulation and blood flow. So when it came time to leave, they asked me, Mr. Venable, do you need a wheelchair? And I said, no, of course not. I'm fine. I'm doing so good. And they took me out uh, without a wheelchair. They took the risk because they knew they saw a recovery that was nothing short of supernatural. And the nurse uh, told me, uh, this particular nurse told me, she said, I deal with these things all the time. I said, do you realize you're a miracle? And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And I know who did it, too, because they didn't do anything. Amen. $27,000 for an aspirin. And not just the aspirin, but, you know, the circumstance to take the aspirin. Uh, thank the Lord for Medicare. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank God it waited till I was over 62. Can you say amen? God is so good today. But the great, great miracle of my life was when I came to know Christ as my personal Savior. 
You know my testimony. When I was eight going on nine, I was diagnosed with leukemia. I was given a death sentence. It was in its last stages. They didn't even consider uh, the therapies they have today was not even available then. So they just said, we'll put him in the county hospital, give him morphine, whatever, to help him make the passage without as little pain and discomfort as possible. They took me to church for prayer. And I'm glad they didn't just take me to church for prayer. I'm glad they took me to a praying church. A church that believed that God still hears and answers prayer when you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The Father cares about us deeply, and we ask in his name. Hallelujah. In the name of his Son and our Savior. I just said all that to say this today. God is still in the salvation business. He's saving souls, so miracles are happening today. Amen. Cherie is a miracle of, of salvation and a miracle of transformation. Amen. Her mind is being renewed, and as it is, her life is being dramatically changed, and her testimony is effective, and I pray it's infective. I pray a lot of people get infected with the gospel of Jesus because they see what God can do in our sister today. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for for Jesus today? Just happy for the Lord. Now, and if you do have to go, anyone for that matter, uh, you feel free to go as your time and your schedule demands of you. If you have your Bibles, we are going back to a theme that I believe the Spirit of God is leading us to continue. We're going to receive our offering. Some are already giving at the end of the service. Service. Uh, if you'd like to give before you go, it's available to you, and we thank you so very, very much. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. I made a statement last week, and it was about a political leader and a military leader in the politics of this world. But a few years ago, there was a weak leader with a great army, but the army was so great there was fear that if that army ever got motivated and mobilized, uh, there would be a worldwide threat. But the leader of that nation was very, very weak. And there was a leader of another nation who didn't have a big military, but the leader was strong and mighty. And so the statement was made when both were looked at as possible adversaries someday. I don't fear an army of sheep, an army of lions, rather, led by a sheep. What I really fear is an army of sheep led by a lion. I'm not going to ask if you remember this because you're not that old. Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, is that correct? A day that shall live on in infamy. When the attack came, no one was prepared for it. Secret Service did not identify that this was a threat. It caught us by complete surprise. Ships were sunk. Thousands of lives were lost. There's a memorial there today. My wife's uh, dad, my father-in-law, was in the United States Navy and visited to see the memorial in Pearl Harbor. 
learned a great lesson that day, but at the cost of so many lives. The person in charge of that attack who had been ordered to attack, Admiral Yamamoto was his name. He was sitting in his quarters in one of the aircraft carriers carriers that all of those planes had left from. Everybody, when they got back, such a victory with hardly any losses at all, they were celebrating and drinking sake, the rice wine, to celebrate. He was somber. He was not celebratory. He was sitting in his quarters, and he didn't even come out to join the party with such a great victory. And they came in and asked him, why are you not celebrating? He said, the war isn't over. The war is just about to begin. And he said, I'm afraid that we have awakened a sleeping giant. And if he awakes, he will shake the world. He knew the military potential of this nation. And he knew if you go to war with that nation, it's going to be a real fight to defeat them. And he knew a terrible war was coming. And it became a war that they could never win. The first time nuclear weapons were used, it was to stop that war from continuing and more and more lives. Actually, it was in their opinion at that time to save lives by devastating that, that country so bad that they lost the heart and the will to fight any longer. Same thing happened with Napoleon. Napoleon Bonaparte, country after country after country, has failed. He's looking at a map of countries next that he's going to conquer. This is before Waterloo, before he was defeated. And someone pointed at the map and said, what about China? Vast place, many resources there. What about China? And he says, no, leave China alone. See, they could put a million soldiers on a battlefield. They had that kind of military might. Leave them alone. Don't bring them into the fray. Don't bring them into. We do not want to go to war with China. Because there lies, same statement, there lies a sleeping giant. And if he awakes, he will shake the world. You know where the sleeping giant is today? We're the most churchiest country in the world. Awake thou that sleepeth, the scriptures teach, and Christ shall give you light. Amen. Every time there's a revival, it's called a spiritual what? A spiritual awakening. Can you say amen? How do you wake up a sleeping church that wants everything convenient, everything comfortable? We need a God sent Holy Ghost revival. Something that's causing... See, we're, we're, we're led by a lion. Remember the book of Revelation? John is being escorted through heaven itself and into the very throne room of God by an angel. And he sees sitting upon a throne 
Him that has the book in his hand, nothing occurs until that book is opened and the seals are off of it and it begins to open. And then it all unfolds, a panorama of God's plan and purpose and final judgment. When that book opens and there was no one found in heaven and no, no, no saint that's ever went to heaven and no saint living on the earth, no one found in heaven or earth that was worthy to take the book from him that sits upon the throne, open the seals and begin that. Because these were, this was the, the wrath of God was getting ready to be poured out upon this planet. And there was no one holy enough, no one righteous enough above every human that's ever lived and preceded us to heaven and everyone on the earth. And John felt like, well, how will we ever have absolute victory he began to weep because no one was found in heaven or earth. But the angel said, John, quit weeping. The Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, he hath prevailed and he is worthy. He didn't do it for his sake. He became a man, died as a man on the cross, God incarnate that he might pay the sin debt for us. And as a representation of everyone on this planet that would trust him, he took the book from him that sat upon the throne. And when John turned to see the lion, the roaring, mighty lion, you know what he saw? He saw a lamb as if it had been slain. Can you imagine the shock? Because he had already heard before that. He heard a voice. As the book of Revelation begins, he heard a voice behind him like many waters. Turned to see who this mighty one that was speaking was. And he said his hair was as wool. His feet were as burnished brass. He was clothed with a garment down to the foot. He had a golden belt upon. Amen. And he heard Jesus in his glorified powerful state he's not coming back on a donkey to suffer he suffered he's died he's won the victory for everyone that will put their trust in him and he's coming riding the white horse that represents victory hallelujah amen and the name is going to be written on his thigh king of kings and lord of lords and his reign shall be forever and forever praise god Listen to this. It's an important thing to get in our mind and heart today. The potential of God's children, regardless of the tag over the door, those that have been born from above and born again. The potential for you and me here today. You know why I haven't retired? People just like that. Who, who's, it's your fault that you're stuck with me. Can you say amen? When I see a soul saved and a life transformed, I know the power of God to, to save and deliver and set free. And sitting right here today is part of the sleeping giant. If we get lulled into that sleep and that slumber, someone said the devil is never too busy to rock the cradle of a sleeping saint. 
And that's why the Bible said in Isaiah 60, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee and shall be seen upon thee. Can you say amen? So the New Testament spins off of that principle in the Old Covenant. And it says, Awake thou that sleepeth, and Christ shall give thee light. Be not drunk with wine wherein is is increased, but be ye... Filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We're in the last of the last days. Was one of the one of the premier signs of that. The Bible said many false prophets, Matthew twenty four, eleven and twelve, what shall be the sign of thy coming? When shall these things be? Many false prophets shall go out into the land and deceive many. I'm going to submit to you today the message of materialism today that focuses on this world. Time instead of eternity is helping to keep people in that spiritual slumber. Amen. Keeping our light from shining before men. Can you say man? But there's another message coming today. It's got to come and it is coming. Amen. Before that great and terrible day of the Lord, before the tribulation breaks forth and preceding that, the coming of Jesus Christ, I will send my servant Elijah, not literal Elijah, but someone in the spirit of Elijah that would come. Can you say man? And the message that would be brought would be a message of repentance that would precede the coming of Jesus Christ and the breaking forth of the tribulation period. And if you need these ladies here, you can come right in. You won't interrupt me. Amen. God is good today. Hallelujah. So if we have all this power and potential, we need to wake up. And we need to wake up call from God. And we need something that I call holy boldness today. To rise up and be strong for the Lord. And to have that, you've got to be free from condemnation. You've got to deal effectively with the guilt that the devil tries to keep you from Becoming bold in the Lord. The scripture says the, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Why? Because we're right with God. And we're not right with God because we're sinlessly perfect. We're right with God because we have a perfect standing through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you say man? And we need to stand in that standing. Amen. There are people who won't forgive you from your past. There are people who will continue to accuse you. The devil is the, called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12. Now is the accuser of the brethren. Devil itself in the Greek is diablos, and it means a maligner. It's someone that accuses. The devil accused Job before God and through Job all mankind. He said, people, people won't serve you without your blessing, your head, your keeping, and your blessing. And he said, have you, have you considered my servant Job? Amen. A perfect man. Not perfect after the flesh, but perfectly committed in his heart toward the Lord. Can you say, man, consider him. But why was he there? To stick forth the finger and say, Sean, you don't love God because he's your heavenly father for what he's given for you, but only for what he gives to you. Jesus even said that. There's a lot of people like that. 
He said, if it wasn't for the miracle of the, of the, the wine and the, the fish and loaves, he said, you wouldn't be here today. You're just here for more blessing for yourself and your selfish reasons. But there are people that are not like that. There are people that understand and appreciate his forgiveness and his grace. And those people God is appealing to today to rise up and wise up and stand up. Little boy standing on the back pew couldn't pronounce his words yet. He's five years old. His dad has brought him to church. And they're singing, rise up, O men of God. Be done with earthly things. And he's singing to the top of his lungs, wise up, O men of God. Can you say amen? Wise up, O men of God. He that winneth souls is wise. And he that turns many to righteousness shall shine as the firmament forever and forever. God puts a premium on soul winning. And people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. I talked with Brother Spain. I hope when one of these days he can come and be with us. He said he'd come for nothing. I said, you're the man I'm looking for. <laughs> Amen. We have a good relationship. He's preached for us before. Hallelujah. He's now moved from his pastoral ministry to an evangelist ministry in his basement. He's setting up a camera. There is a lady that is listens to our Let's Talk About Jesus Bible studies on the website that said, get a camera, get a camera, get a camera. Amen. I don't know why they would want a camera for the life of me. <laughs> Amen. No, she wanted a live service. That's what she wanted, what is happening right here and right now. She wanted to recapture that in her home through the computer. So we're looking into the possibility of filming. Just add another responsibility on our media minister today. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. And sending it where God would send it. So... God has brought me back to this, and I'm going to read it one more time. We're going to move quickly. So how many can listen quickly? Hebrews 10 and verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This word evil conscience in any good Reference commentary would be a conscience defiled by guilt. Your conscience is there to convict you. And God uses the conscience to convict us of our sins so we can repent of our sin and receive Christ as our Savior. The devil manipulates our conscience to condemn us. We should welcome conviction. In fact, the Bible said if we say we have absolutely no sin, we're disingenuous. No, we're way beyond disingenuous. We lie. The Bible is very plain. We lie and do not the truth. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. He's not just faithful to forgive. He's justified in forgiving because Jesus has paid the price so that we can be forgiven. And that's why the Bible said the judgment is going to be so absolute and so strongly given of those who have pushed back against that conviction and that opportunity and went into the darkness instead of coming to the light. How shall we escape? How shall we escape that judgment and that wrath if we neglect such a great 
salvation as this. Can you say amen? If we, in essence, trodden underfoot the blood of the everlasting covenant, and that's what happens when people say, I, I don't want Christ. I don't want nor need forgiveness. Friend of mine, that's the most dangerous thing that anyone could possibly take an attitude toward. And the Bible said one of the things that would happen is people keep pushing back against God's call and God's conviction. Their conscience, having their conscience seared, cauterized as by a hot iron. Right now, when they cut through my wife's flesh in order to to pull her ribs apart, uh, to get to open heart, there were nerve endings that were severed. And they are now beginning to bring feeling back because they were severed. Amen. When the conscience becomes cauterized, you can hear the word of God and not be convicted in your heart. And no man comes to Christ because of our appeal intellectually to their head, but what God does in their heart. No man comes to my father, to me, Christ said, except my father, what? Draw them. That means you can't come to Christ when you decide to. When I've sown all my seeds of sin and I'm in my rocking chair and I sin, I can't sin like I used to or sin isn't as much fun anymore, then I'll decide whether I want to receive him. No, you come when you're called. And you can't come unless he called you. But he will keep calling you. That's the good news. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door of what? Anybody ever seen that painting? Of Christ standing at the door. There's no knob, is there, on the outside. There's no way he can force himself in. He won't break it down. He won't even open it up from the outside. It has to be opened from the inside. But when it is opened, he said, I'll come in. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking at the door. And if you open the door, I will come in. And I'll come in for fellowship. Because of a reconciled relationship, you can have perfect fellowship with God. Let us draw near. God said, I want you to come into my presence. I didn't rend the veil so you could stay outside. The veil was rent through the cross that you might come in to my presence. Can you say man today? Hallelujah. Well, your conscience is a good thing. It's a God thing. He lighteth. The scripture said every man that comes into the world, that means he gives a conscience to every person that comes in to the world. Has your conscience ever bothered you about anything? Thank God you've got a conscience. Have you ever been convicted of anything by the Holy Spirit? You said something, did something, immediately you felt that twinge. Your conscience isn't seared. Have you ever felt sad about a sin and wanted to get it right with God? God has used the conscience to bring conviction and use conviction to bring you to a place of prayer and repentance and use that repentance to bring reconciliation. Can you say, man, not just positionally, but personally, you've got a positional standing with God through the blood of Jesus, but there's a personal standing that God has called us to. And the devil wants to keep you out of the presence of God. He wants to keep you from being a witness because you don't feel qualified because you are so imperfect. He wants you to see yourself as an infinitesimal 
infinitesimal nobody. Amen. When the Bible said, now you are the sons of God. I used to preach a message, and if I could get it in here, I'd preach it right now. But it's not, if I get it in, we won't finish the one God's given me. But I used to preach on living in the now of your salvation. Now. That was then. This is now. How many got a past? How many know what God has done with your sin? The Bible said, as it is written, I will cast their sins. When you truly repent, I will cast your sins away from you as far as the east is from the west. Your sins I will remember no more. The devil will try to manipulate your conscience to bring those sins right back and make them glaring to where you try to disqualify you from the boldness that comes from knowing that you are a child of the living God and that he loves you and he's, he may not be pleased with every part of your character. That's why he's always working in your character. Amen. Let us go on. We're not there. We're always on that journey. Let us therefore go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundational, fundamental, and they're the most important, but you don't camp on that. You go onward and upward and forward in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Your conscience can be manipulated by the devil to make you feel too guilty I told you the story, I'll tell you very quickly, this morning a man came and laid tile for us, member of a mega church actually in Lakeland. He had heard a message on dedication and commitment and he committed to fast and pray a certain amount of time, uh, so many days a week and a certain amount of time in prayer. He got busy laying tile in the hot, sweltery Florida weather and he got weak and lightheaded. And he needed a Pepsi and a hamburger. And he broke his commitment to drink his Pepsi and eat his hamburger. And then he felt like, I've failed God. He was dejected. He felt like he couldn't pray. The devil who accused him, now look at you. You made all these promises and you broke them. The pressure got on and you broke down under the pressure. God can't use you. God's not going to listen to you. God doesn't love you like he would have loved you if your performance had matched your statement. What a liar the devil is. Can you say man? I love this about Jesus. He understands my frame. David loved it about God in the Old Testament because he said, Thou pitieth me. You show me mercy because you know better than anybody I am but dust. You made us out of the dust of the earth. You can't have very high expectations of us doing much without you. Can you say, man, you know that. He appealed to God's mercy because God knows our frame. Hallelujah. The Bible said in the fact that Jesus was tempted in all points, just like we are. He lived in a human body in a fallen world. Amen. And in his humanity, he experienced temptation in every possible form that the devil could bring it. And because he was tempted, the scripture said he knows how to succor. That's an old English word. It's a good translation, though it means to give aid, to give help to those that are in need. It means when you're tempted, he knows how to help you. He's there to help you through it, to overcome it. 
amen, to get out of the trap of, of, of sin and forgiveness and sin and forgiveness, to break that vicious circle of sin in our life. That sin doesn't reign any longer because Jesus is reigning. And by the way, I want to bring this to you before we finish this. Real quickly, don't let your guilt become more of an influence than his blood. The efficacy of his blood. If I've got the poor old me's, I'm doubting the power and purpose of the shed blood of Jesus. When he held up the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood that is shed specifically for the sins of many. Can you say amen? What happens when that blood is applied? There's a type of it that, oh, I love it in the Old Testament. Remember when the death angel was coming, the last judgment was going to fall in the land before Pharaoh would be ready to let God's people go? He's going to slay the firstborn in every single family. And they were told, here is how you avoid that judgment that's coming in the land. You take a lamb without spot and without blemish. You take it and you slay it. You catch the blood in a basin or a bowl and you take, in that day, hyssop was one of the things they used because it was a, a plant that would hold that blood with so many, the, the little Parts of it were so close together, it would actually hold that blood. You dip it in that blood. They couldn't run down to the hardware store and get a brush. They used what they could get, and they would dip it in the basin of that lamb's blood. And they put it on the doorpost and the ceiling as you come in. They put it on there. And, and so much blood. This was not a neat thing. This wasn't a pretty thing wasn't a pristine little dot here and dot there. There was blood spattered on the, on the threshold, and there was blood on both of the doorposts, and the blood literally had to drip, amen, from the, th- the threshold down to the threshold from the ceiling part of that, so that that whole opening was now blood-covered. And when the angel came, he came on an assignment to kill the firstborn of those without that blood covering. And he went into every home in Egypt and a whale came out of all of Egypt. But there were some safe people inside those homes that had a covenant with God. Amen. And by faith, they had applied the blood. Amen. When you get saved, Jesus supplies the blood for every human being. It's not his will, the scripture said, that any perish, but that all. Yeah, even the people that deserve it. Amen. Even the guy, listen, the guy that just killed five innocent people doesn't deserve mercy. He don't deserve mercy, but I got news for you today. You and I don't either. You say, but I've never done anything. You don't have to do anything like that. He that sins in one point. Is guilty of the whole law. I'm not a murderer. You don't have to be a murderer. You don't have to be some kind of heinous criminal. But you have to be forgiven. When I see the blood, we used to sing it years ago. Anybody remember that great camp meeting hymn? When I see the blood, based on that scripture... 
that scenario, when I see the blood, I will, I will pass over you. Can you say amen? Jesus supplied the blood at Calvary. And when someone repents of their sin and receives Christ as their Savior, they apply the blood to their life. Hallelujah. And thank God we can plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Where is that in the Bible, pleading? Though the, it's not in the Bible to plead, but it's biblically supported to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus pleads that blood in the presence of the Father as our great high priest. He literally pleads the merits of his own blood in our behalf. And the reason he's able to save you to the farthest extent, the, the word used in your New Testament is the uttermost. In Dave Wilkerson's ministry, that was Times Square Church. He's with the Lord now. A young lady that had come off uh, drugs uh, said, that he, he gives me an unction for my gumption so I can function. <laughs> And, and, and it was said of so many people coming out of the drug culture and coming to Christ and being saved and transformed. They came from the guttermost to the uttermost. Can you say, man, you can't get no more saved than they were the day they received Jesus as Savior. You might have been raised in church, but it was the blood that saves you. And the blood that saves them and that saves you, there's no greater place you can get in God. Amen. The Bible said literally, <laughs> amen. He's able to save them in the book of Hebrews to the uttermost, to the Father's extent. What does that mean? You can't get any more saved than you are when you get saved. You can get closer to God, live a more sanctified life, but you can't get the day after you get saved if you get called home. You're going home. The thief on the cross today. You can't go through the rituals. You can't undo anything. You can't make anything else right. But I can do something for you. Because of what I'm doing right now on this cross. Today. You will be with me in paradise. Don't ever let a religion talk you out of what Jesus offers you today. Who made up that other rule? It's by grace you are saved. Through faith. It is not of works. You could never earn it. You can work a lifetime of works that show that it occurred and to please Him and thank Him. But none of that contributes to your salvation. Otherwise, you'd become self-righteous, lest any man should boast. If you think you've earned it. If you think you've earned it, He knew I needed some water. Lord, I can preach another hour now. Thank you, my brother. How my throat was getting dry. Seriously. <laughs> if you have to go, you may. I'm excited about this because this army of sheep is led by a lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. Can you say, man? And he is worthy in our behalf to take the book from him that sits upon the throne and opens the seals. Every judgment, we're not worthy to sit in that place, but he is. Can you say, we're not worthy to stand in that place, but he is. Can you say, man? Hallelujah. And I'm so glad he is. John looked around to see that lamb, see that lion. And you know what he saw? 
the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, the Lamb of God. He turned around and he saw a lamb as it had been slain. That meant its throat had been cut and the blood had made crimson that snow-white innocent fur on that lamb. And yet, through that blood-soaked lamb came the greatest victory that has ever occurred in human history or any history of the world or the universe. Can you say, man, and it shall come to pass, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why? Because the price has been paid. Whether we accept it or not, the sin debt has been paid. Hallelujah. For it's not His will, Sean, that any perish, but that all have eternal life. And if they would Grant me access to a prison cell today to go down death row. If you could go to death row, do you believe God, if someone truly repented? Is that justice? No. Someone stood up in our service while I was preaching this message, and I'm a Pentecostal preacher, you can tell that. I believe in salvation by grace through faith because it can't come any other way. It's not a license to sin. It's a way out of the prison house that sin is trying to keep us in. Can you say, man, thank God for grace. You know what Paul said? Paul said, if anybody's got a reason to boast, I'm more. I'm a Jew of the Jews. My lineage is pure. I'm a covenant man. Got Abraham's covenant covering me. I'm a Jew of the Jew. And I'm of a prestigious tribe in Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, and I was circumcised the eighth day according to the law. And while we're on the subject of the law, he said something that's entirely wrong. But he was self-righteous. So he believed that. Concerning the law, I am blameless. But when he came to the cross and the saving knowledge of Jesus, he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? You hear the things he kind of gained to him, his religious credentials, his personal righteousness. He said, the things that I thought were gained to me, I recategorize them. I put a new different value on them. I count them as but dung. How many needed a understanding of dung? Do you get what dung is? You understand what that is? Do you think he wanted to show us that man's attempt at righteousness outside and without the shed blood of Jesus Christ compared to the demands of a holy, thrice holy God. The angels didn't just say holy. They said in His presence, they said holy, holy, holy. Can you say amen? In the New Testament, it says of Him, He's a God that dwells in unapproachable light. The glory is so great. God said you can't enter into that and live. It would dissolve you. It would, it would annihilate you. And yet He bids you to draw near. To come on in. Can you say amen? Amen? Come on, church. What was the veil rent for? 
Was it symbolic? No. It was an invitation. The veil said, keep out. You'll never be worthy to come back here where my presence is indwelling. But when the veil was rent, he said, come in. And Paul said, let's go in. A price has been paid. The veil was rent for a purpose. He that he that knew no sin became sin for us. He, the just suffering for the unjust that he might what? Just forgive us and get us to heaven? No, bring us to God. Hallelujah. So let us what? Draw near. So many times we sit out and we watch the show. We don't personally come in the presence of God. We just listen to the preacher. We, uh, we sing with the choir and we go home. We never draw near personally. And yet the veil was rent for that very purpose. That you and I could draw near. But you know what will keep you out even with a rent veil? A guilty conscience. A guilty conscience. Let us draw near with our conscience sprinkled from evil. Literally, a conscience not defiled by guilt. If it's under the blood, it's gone. And it's never going to be brought back if you don't bring it back. And when you feel those feelings after you've truly repented and confessed sin, don't let that feeling override your faith in the finished work of Jesus. Can you say man? Listen to Revelation 12 now. Is the accuser of our brethren cast down? That did what? Accuse them before God. How often? Day and night. If we didn't have an advocate with the Father. But the scripture said we have representation. We have a high priest that is passed into heavens. And he is able to save them that have trusted him to the uttermost. Seeing that he ever lives to do what? To make intercession. What happens when the devil accuses us before God? Jesus pleads his sacrifice. Can you say, man, as our high priest, he pleads the merits of his own blood in our behalf. Hallelujah. He was raised, crucified for our sins, but he was raised for our justification and we are saved because of what he did at the cross but we are also saved by his life seeing that he what ever lives to do what make intercession those priests lives and died and they had to bring on a new one but we have an eternal high priest who is able to save us to the uttermost seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for us so the next time the devil points his bony bony crooked finger of accusation at you if there's something wrong get it right take that away from him but when you get it right don't let him make you feel guilty any longer because you have representation in the presence of God you have a conscience that will condemn you unless it's sprinkled with the blood of Jesus you have people who won't forgive you as much as lieth within you be at peace with all men if you know your brother, you've wronged your brother, you need to get it right with your brother. Don't leave your gift at the altar until you go and seek if you can be reconciled. Can you say man? But having done your part, you're not to carry that any further. Amen. They're in a bad place if they're a Christian and they don't forgive you. You're in a bad place if you're a Christian and don't forgive them. 
And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against anyone. For if you don't forgive men, your Father won't forgive you. Serious stuff. Pattern prayer. Forgive us our debts contingent on what? As we forgive those. See, as I forgive, I qualify for forgiveness. I wish I could live in a state and place where I'd never need forgiveness because I never mess up. Sean, I don't care if you're Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. I don't care what your name is or what you've done or how many works you have. There is no place like that. If we say we have no sin, as Christians, it doesn't rain. We're not under Satan's rule, but we are still bound to our weak flesh. Amen? Amen? So if you're seeking sinless perfection, you're not applying the blood. You have no need of the blood. You can be saved without the blood. Jesus died in vain and for nothing. He did not die that way. Paul said, all this stuff that I used to to show how righteous I was, I count it all as but dung that I might win and know Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Listen to me carefully as we close today. Of course, closing takes a while, so if you have to go, we, we release you. Let us draw near in full assurance of faith. See, that's the, where the boldness comes from. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. I love the paraphrase, going to read it again this week. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed in pure water. Listen to David once again in Psalm 51, 1 through 3. Have mercy on me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of Thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. From my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Now, the great Psalm 32, I'm going to tell you what it did to him before he got it settled with God. I love that great old camp meeting him, the old account was settled long ago. Can you say, man? Well, it don't have to be long ago. It may be something that you need to settle that happened yesterday. So whether it's long ago or yesterday, we need to get it settled with God. And take that ammunition from the devil and allow our advocate to intercede for us. And receive the forgiveness and receive our conscience cleansed. Can you say man? How many has ever done anything you've asked God to forgive you for? I tell you, you've got God's forgiveness like that. You know where the hard part is? Forgiving yourself. And I don't mean taking sin lightly. I mean seeing it as so serious that it took Jesus hanging on that tree, suffering and dying in order that we might be forgiven. That's why a lamb was chosen as the signature premier sacrifice animal. The innocence and the purity of the lamb Oh, by the way, you know what they did when you brought that lamb to be sacrificed for you and your family under the old covenant? Typical of the lamb of God that was to come. When they brought the lamb 
And by the way, this lamb was cut out from the herd. This lamb was not just out among sheep. This lamb to be protected and to be kept pure and unsullied was kept like a pet in the home. Children played with this lamb. They grew to love this lamb. People saw its innocence, its sweetness, its purity. And they took that lamb that they loved to the temple. And the priest put their hand. No, they were to put their hand. And the priest to put their hand upon the head of that lamb. You know what that meant? My sins are transferred to this innocent lamb. I'm the guilty. And it began the principle, the scarlet thread that runs throughout the Bible, salvation through the substitutionary blood of Jesus Christ. Before the lamb was slain, the hand was placed upon the head. And mean, my sin is placed on this innocent lamb. Should be me that is being judged, but instead this pure one. And it began the principle of the guilty, the innocent suffering for the guilty. Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would say, not my will, thine for? The answer, I may never know why he ever loved me so, that to an old rugged cross he would go. For who am I? What gives you such value? What gives you such worth? Is the price that God paid to save you. That Christ paid to save you. Can you say, man, don't you ever let people or your own consciousness keep you from drawing near to the God who paid such a price so you could enter in? When Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, he interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God couldn't look upon his son when he, just in type, he never sinned, but in type, he, he that knew no sin became that sacrificed lamb. He became sin. The sins of the world were transferred to him, but the world can't be saved unless they receive him as their Savior. But he died for the sins of the world. And that's why we're told to go in all the world and tell them. Go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth is saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. We can't escape a salvation offered. There's no other way except through the blood of Jesus. If there was another way, this would still be the best way because no one has ever loved you like that. No one could ever love you like that. Can you say, man? So this doesn't give us license to sin. It gives us a reason to love him back and devote our life to him. I'm glad to be cleansed today. I'm glad to be washed in the blood of Jesus. I'm glad to be a child of the living God. If you've got guilt today, don't run from him. Run to him. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to confess. He wants you to repent. He wants to restore the fellowship that is broken because of that sin. He wants to get rid of the guilt so you can come how? Before the throne of grace? Boldly. In that Christ... 
being a high priest that's passed into heavens for us, in that he was tempted in all points as we are, let us come boldly, confidently and courageously. Because we know what? We know the veil was rent so we could come. We know God wants us to come. We know Jesus bids us to come. Can you say man? Hallelujah. We know that he tells us to draw near and not let our conscience or the devil's accusations keep us out. Hallelujah. Off of Psalm 51, which was David's prayer of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, renew in me a right spirit. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Another psalm comes into play, same condition, Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose transgression is covered. When I held my peace, when I didn't confess it, when I didn't repent of it, my bones wax old with roaring. What the Bible say about the wicked? The wicked are like the troubled sea whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God unto the wicked. Oh, but when David found mercy and when David found forgiveness, it all changed. He said, don't let the pressure of that sin uh, that's unconfessed. Uh, don't let God have to cause the pain of that in your conscience. Literally. Don't be like the ox. Don't be like the mule. Somebody say stubborn. stubborn. Hard-headed. Hard-headed. And hard-hearted. hard-hearted. And I don't know why Sherry looked at Doug. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get that. But anyway, y'all work it out when you get home. You ever get the joy of the Lord, your life will change. You, you might be a real advertisement for Jesus one of these days. Can you say, man, I didn't, oh, church hasn't done a lot for me. What church did for me, give me an opportunity to worship him that did everything for me. Can you say, man, the ritual of church never changed my life, but the righteousness of God surely did when it was received through the blood of Jesus. Can you say, man, and entering into his presence, what happens when we draw near in his presence, draw near to what his person, his presence. He said, you haven't been dealing with the Father. You've been asking me to do everything. He said, I'm not all. In other words, he knew he was going to ascend. He was going to become a high priest. And we were going to be dealing directly with the Father in his name. When you pray, pray like this. Heretofore, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that you may receive. That your joy might be full. I do not say that I shall pray for you except to intercede so you can have that relationship with the Father. For the Father Himself loveth you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him would not perish but have the gift of eternal life. Hallelujah. I got it today. How about you? I'm glad I got it today. I'm excited about being a Christian. I'm not doing this because I'm paid to preach. I'm doing this because I'm a Christian. I'm like a man in the desert dying of thirst that found an oasis where there's cool, clear, plenteous water and shade. And seeing fellow travelers that are dying of thirst and saying, you don't have to die of thirst. Come and follow me. I'll show you where there's living water. Can you say, man? 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalm 51 begins, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. One translation really brings that out. I love this. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. When that's occurring, there is no boldness. There is no fellowship. Instead of drawing near, you shrink from the person in presence of God. God wants you to draw near. Because it cost his son on Calvary. And it cost Christ that suffering. For the veil. When he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The next saying from that cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And then he says, into thine hands, commend I my spirit. And I will not pronounce this right, but close as I can to the Greek and Aramaic was tetelestai. One word cried out as the final word before he gave up the ghost. And it's interpreted, it is finished. Everything necessary for your and my sin to be forgiven, for us to be saved to the uttermost, was accomplished when he paid the last of his life's blood, the last of his life's breath, he cried, Tetelestai. It is accomplished. It's done. Hallelujah. Nothing more to be done. That's why it's by grace you are saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You know something? We're all going to get a crown of some sort, crowns of righteousness, crowns of glory. There are several crowns that are granted to Christians who have overcome. And who is he that overcometh? He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God and put their trust in him. But you know what I saw in heaven? The four and twenty elders, they're going to lead this thing. They're already done it, and they're going to set the standard for us. they got crowns. You know what they're doing with their crowns? They're laying them at the feet of Jesus in the book of Revelation. And you know what we're going to do with our crowns? Because we know without his shed blood and his mercy and grace that flowed to us, we could never be worthy of that holy city and live in that holy place with such holy persons. We'll have a crown, Sean. There's a crown of life that every one of us have, the eternal life we have through Christ. Can you say amen? You know what we're going to do with that crown? Every one of We're going to have such a sense of what am I doing here? How did I'm not worthy of living with persons as holy as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I'm not worthy of a place like this. There will be an immediate sense of how did I get me in this place? And then it's going to hit us. I am not worthy. 
in and of myself. I'm not worthy of the blood of Jesus, but yet he died for me. And I've been made worthy through the blood of Jesus. And you'll never feel a twinge of guilt again, but what you will feel is a sense of thanksgiving. We will 10 million years from now in heaven. Did you say million? I'm sorry, I misspoke. 10 billion years from now. To put it in a little, just a corner of eternal perspective, we'll still be praising God for the shed blood of Jesus. Can you say, man, (laughs) hallelujah. And I believe we need to start. And thank you, ladies, for coming today. We sure appreciate you as we close today. Thank you for coming. Amen. Listen to me carefully. If your faith in the finished work of Jesus isn't stronger than your feeling of guilt, you need to refocus on the cross and him who died for you. And you need to get a little upset with yourself. So, why are you disquieted within me? What's wrong with you? Can you say amen? Come on, let's put it in our vernacular. Amen. We're not trying to impress anyone now. We'll get right down to the nitty gritty. We wasn't trying then, as you can see. Listen to me carefully. What's wrong with us? That our flesh would dare, our finite mind would dare entertain the guilt that the devil is laying on us instead of the blood that was shed for us. How dare us? How distant we are from the truth of the word. How little of the word has influence over our mind. You know what's transforming this young woman other than the Holy Spirit himself? Be ye no more conformed to this world, pushed into its mold, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. May I borrow that? I'm not going to look at it. (laughs) She said I could look at it. Where's some bearded guy on here? Fire coming out of his mouth. I I don't know who that guy is. You know what's transforming? You know what's transforming her mind? Be no more conformed to this world. He saves you when he saves you, but get under the word. Someone told me a couple of weeks ago, not going to say who, I got off track, but I want to get back on track. You want to get back on track? Come to church. Get under the word of the living God. Amen. Because your mind, your mind, hallelujah, will be transformed. And when the mind is transformed, the life begins to transform. So you're no more conformed to this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be you transformed by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. That spirit of timidity, that spirit of doubt, that spirit of fear that used to dominate you when you're transformed in the spirit of your mind fear won't hold you prisoner anymore amen guilt will not keep you out of the presence of god and becoming the warrior that god wants you to be for him in this generation god's raising up an army he gave you armor for a reason But a dispirited soldier with all of that holy, heavenly, impenetrable army is useless on a battlefield. When we pulled out of Vietnam, we left the best military equipment in the world. Our equipment was far better than the Viet Cong. 
But when we pulled out, their army was supposed to fight without our backup. They became dispirited. And when they became dispirited, they laid their weapons down. Quit fighting. We're not losing because we're fighting and losing. We're losing because we're not fighting. Can you say man? Because if we learn to fight the good fight of faith, faith, our faith, know our faith in him and his faithfulness. We're not going to lose those battles anymore. Hey man, you might have been, you might have been a loser for many years, but God wants you to learn how to be a victor instead of a victim. Can you say, man, because this is the last day and he gave you this armor to become a spiritual warrior. So when you pray for people, hell can't stop God working in their life. When you pray, amen, mighty things are going to occur. And the devil can't disqualify you from coming boldly before the throne of grace with courage and confidence because you know he was tempted in all points as you are and yet without sin. And this God that understand you inside out says I want you to come the veil has been rent from the top to the bottom therefore let us draw near in the full assurance of faith having our conscience purged from any and all guilt that we might boldly hallelujah come in the presence of God and come out of the presence of God with a holy boldness to declare him to others. If the wake, if the sleeping church wakes up, we will shake the world. Three things David prayed for in God as we close and we really do close. David first requested was for mercy according to God's compassion. At the throne of grace, what happens first so grace can flow? That we might obtain mercy and grace to help. How available is that mercy? Lamentations 3 said, every morning. Every day you get up, mercy flows from the throne towards you. He said, I was broken. I was about to give up. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Can you say, man, thy mercies? Uh, you might have flubbed up, but there's mercy flowing. There's not to cover it up, not to conceal it, but if you confess it, to cleanse it. Can you say, man, thy mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Hallelujah. So David said, first request was for mercy, appealing to God's compassion. David's second request was for forgiveness. He asked God to blot, blot out the stain of his sin. Hallelujah. And David's third request is the one we all wrestle with. The one that Satan uses most against us. Wash me clean from my guilt. My sin is ever before me. He says, I don't want to ever look and see it again. I want to see the cleansing work of the blood applied to my heart, applied to my life. And David rode up, rose up out of the depths of despair, of guilt. My soul is dried up within me. Amen. He rose up and he lived his life with God's grace and mercy over him. 
Remember when a guy was throwing stones at him, casting dirt at him, he knew David had done all he did and the guilt was gnawing on him, but he gnawed back. Can you say, man, if guilt is gnawing on you, you need to stand up, plead the blood of Jesus and start gnawing back. Can you say, man, and say, that's who I was, but this is who I am. That's where I was, but this is where I am. Can you say, man? And the mind starts getting a hold of that. And the mind that saw yourself as worthless and unworthy begins to sense, I am a child of the living God. I am, I am His beloved and He is mine and His banner over me is love. Hallelujah. And I can go to His throne and find Him bidding me come and receiving me when I come in to pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And an army can rise up that has never risen up in that kind of boldness before. And we need that army today in the name of Jesus. Brother, would you come as we close? I'm going to ask you this question. Said it last week, bears repeating. Man is deeply depressed, clinically depressed. Seeing a psychologist, after several weeks, the psychologist is beaming. He said, I have figured out, because of all of our encounters together, why you have these feelings of guilt. He said, it's because you're guilty. You can't not be unguilty 100%. There are sins of omission. And there are sins of commission. And you don't live and let them reign. But if you find yourself in one of those areas, there is forgiveness with thee that thou might be feared. What? Forgiveness that thee might be feared? You've got to understand the fear of the Lord is not the dread of God. Fear of the Lord defined in the Old Testament is deep reverence. Say it with me. Deep reverence. It starts with reverencing Him deeply with awe. He's so mighty. He's so powerful. And yet He's so personally committed to loving me. Hallelujah. There's forgiveness with me that I might get back in that place of deep devotion because of deep reverence for God. Can you say, oh, do you hear me today? I can barely hear myself without shouting. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is the word of the living God. This is the truth about the person. Not the power, but the person. There's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Deep reverence with awe and affection. When we're forgiven and we know we don't deserve it, we've been shown mercy, we begin to devote and love Him back for loving us that deeply. Hallelujah. What is it? He that's forgiven much, what happens to their devotion? So self-righteous don't have that. Come on. The ones exalting themselves and saying, look how great I am. They don't have that. But we who know the depth of our depravity without God and without the Holy Spirit and without the shed blood of Jesus. We that know that in our flesh and in ourself there's no good thing. No matter how religious we try to make it, we appreciate and we appropriate the blood of Jesus. Can you say, man, hallelujah, there's forgiveness with thee. 
that thou mayest be feared. How many fear the Lord in that sense today? Deep reverence with all. How many are going to fight back when the devil accuses you from here on out? How many are going to not let people? They're supposed to forgive you. If they don't, it's on them. It ain't on you no more. Leave it on them. There are people that bear a grudge against me from way back at Sitka Street. They still haven't forgiven me, and they still don't. I don't even think about loving me. They don't even like me. But you know something? It's on them. (laughs) It's not on me. Don't let the devil put it on you. Can you say amen? How many glad you're washed in the blood? How many glad for the God of the second chance? Oh, how many glad for the God of the third chance? Fourth chance, fifth chance. The God who says, if you'll confess it, I'll forgive it because blood has been paid for it. (laughs) Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb. Oh, I want to worship Him before we go home. Our time is running. I do have a watch. Amen. Hallelujah. we got time for one song before we leave. Hallelujah. Psalm 3. Let's, let's take this to heart as we go home. And let's believe the words of the psalmist. Because we got a better covenant established on better promises. For the blood of Jesus speaks of better things.